Good evening. Thank you for, to the Staffords for that wonderful report. Really appreciate the uh, uh, the ministries that go on through our church, outside our church. Uh, it's so exciting uh, to see all the different things that are happening. Well, as I get into my devotion, I just wanted to remind everybody that back in January and February of 2022, a little over a year ago now, Pastor Dan and Pastor Chad started a series of these one another topics by teaching on what the Bible has to say about showing love and honor to one another. The scriptures that we have studied on Sunday nights since then have focused on different aspects of loving and caring for each other and how that not only benefits us individually, but how it strengthens the church as a whole. One of the lessons that we learned early on is that none of what is commanded in these one another statements can be done well in our own strength. We must depend on the strength and power of God to obey those commands. Tonight we're going to study the command to agree with one another in the Lord. And that command is another example of one that we cannot do at least well in honoring God in our own power. We have to depend on God's strength and power to do this. And as it applies to agreeing with brothers and sisters in Christ about strongly held convictions and desires, I submit that we have no way of doing that without God's strength, power, and leading through his Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at two different passages of Scripture tonight where the Apostle Paul urges his readers to agree with one another. The background and circumstances are different from each other, but the command is the same. And as we will see, the desired result is the same for each passage as well. So let's start by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Now it's because of his zeal for the honor of Christ, as well as the love he has for the church in Corinth, that Paul takes the people in the church of Corinth to task over many things in this letter. Many of the problems addressed in this letter, parties, lawsuits, tensions between the strong and the weak, indifference to the poor at the Lord's Supper, boasting about spiritual gifts, and others reflect a spirit of dissension that was in that church community. Starting at verse 10, Paul deals with the first of the issues that is causing disunity among the believers. Now, this is so important to Paul that he doesn't simply state his expectations as a command, as he does in many of his letters. In this case, Paul uses the phrase that's like, appeal to you, brothers, or as other translations read, plead with you, brethren, to agree with one another. 
Paul expresses how urgent and important it is for the believers in Corinth to agree with each other on this as well as other important topics. So what is the specific issue that Paul is so concerned about that he puts this kind of emotion and urgency into his writing? Verses 11 and 12 give us an answer to that question. Again, it reads, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. The Corinthian church suffered under conflict and quarreling. And this conflict was much more than the simple disagreements uh, over minor day-to-day things. This particular conflict made them divide into parties or cliques or factions that each party having its own leader. Now there appeared to be a group that followed the teaching and example of the Apostle Paul. Paul, of course, had founded the church in Corinth and had given them the foundational teachings of the gospel. Another group followed the teaching of Apollos. Apollos was a well-respected teacher and minister of the gospel. Now, as I understand it, he was well-spoken and could articulate the truths of the gospel well. That probably appealed to those in the church that enjoyed listening to the philosophers of the day that were in Corinth. Another group followed the teaching of Cephas, or Simon Peter, one of the original twelve apostles and the one to whom Christ gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Although there's no direct evidence that Peter ever visited Corinth, it may be uh, that any of the Jewish Christians in that local community may have held him in high esteem. Finally, another group followed the teachings of Christ himself. After all, Christ is the center of the gospel message, right? And why would you want to follow any teacher other than him? Now, It should not seem strange to us that a local group of believers would split up based on personalities of particular leaders. If we look at our culture today, we see this play out in any number of ways. If if Paul was writing into the 21st century church, he might be able to write, what I mean to, to say to each of you is, I follow John MacArthur, or I follow R.C. Sproul, or I follow John Piper, Or, I follow Billy Graham. Now, that may seem a little silly, but we could insert any current or past church leader uh, into that list, and Paul could possibly level those same criticism on us that he did the Corinthian believers. And regardless of whose teaching they followed, they thought that they were the ones that were really on the right track with God. A quick look at that list might lead some to think that the group that followed Christ has actually had the right outlook on this issue. Paul made it very clear in his writings that he did not want to draw attention to himself or his skills, but rather bring attention to Christ by preaching only Christ crucified. Paul would certainly agree that, just as we would not follow Paul, we should not follow Apollos or Cephas or anyone else for that matter, but we should follow Christ. Now, although it may seem that the group that followed Christ is the only group that was acting correctly, the Apostle Paul is actually criticizing all of them 
for the division that all of this is causing. The factions that Paul lists may have been focused more on the people of the congregation rather than the apostles. The Corinthians boasting about their party leaders was really just boasting about themselves. It's not so much that Apollos or Cephas or Paul was great, but that they were great for following them. So what is Paul really trying to prevent or more probably heal at this point, by admonishing the Corinthian church to agree with one another. The second part of verse 10 answers this question by stating, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. The statement that there be no divisions among you doesn't simply refer to the parties or factions that Paul lists in verse 12. The word division in this context means to tear or to rend. Paul's plea is that the groups or factions of this church stop ripping each other apart. As we look at the phrase, to be united in the same mind and in the same judgment, or as the New King James Version states, to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and judgment, Paul uses a medical term. It describes knitting together bones that have been fractured or joining together a joint that has been dislocated. This disunion is unnatural and must be cured. And Paul reinforces that teaching by asking the question in verse 13, Is Christ divided? Another way of asking that is, Has Christ been divided and different parts handed out to different people? Paul did not preach one Christ, and Apollos another, and Peter another. There is but one gospel and one Savior. No human leader, not even an apostle, should be given the loyalty that belongs only to the Lord. And such elevation of leaders leads only to contention, disputes, a divided church, much like we see at Corinth. Well, one question that comes to my mind is, why were there so many quarrels and contentions among them? And by inference, why are there so many quarrels and contentions among us in the 21st century? There's at least a couple of answers that have been offered to help answer this or address this. The first is that the Corinthian church looked at the gospel from more of a philosophical point of view. Philosophers of the day wanted followers and needed to make a name for themselves. This may be why some in that church wanted to follow Apollos. For example, as a well-spoken, well-respected minister, he may have inadvertently attracted his followers by meeting their needs and desires to listen to the philosophers of the day. Instead of emphasizing the message of the word, they emphasized the messenger. And they got their eyes off of the Lord and on to his servants. And that led to competition. More directly related to all of us, it's simply human nature that humans enjoy follow, following human leaders. We tend to identify more with spiritual leaders that we enjoy and that help us. And let's be honest. It's often easier to follow someone who we can see and hear and ask questions to rather than putting our hopes on following the Lord through his word. 
It's also easier for us to fall back on a statement like, Pastor so-and-so said this, or Pastor so-and-so said that. And that relieves us from uh, needing to study and understand God's word for ourselves. Now, the passage in 1 Corinthians dealt with a disagreement on a church-wide scale. It appears that the church was split into groups, and it was in the process of tearing each other apart. It's easy to see why the Apostle Paul was concerned about this dissension and quarreling, and he gave an urgent directive for the congregation to stop doing what was clearly ungodly and agree with each other on the worship and service to Christ. Now, the next passage I want to talk about is one that involves two individuals, Iodia and Syntyche, two longtime laborers for Christ in Philippi. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 record Paul's statement to these women. It reads, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, reading Paul's letter to the Philippians, we see the apostle, who is writing while being under, held under house arrest in Rome, uh, is encouraging the church in Philippi to work out their own salvation demonstrate the character of Christ in the wicked world around them, and to learn to wholeheartedly trust in Christ for everything. It is true that the Philippian church had a special love bond with Paul. They alone supported him when he left Macedonia, and nor did Paul have to sharply rebuke them for waving doctrinally. But that doesn't mean that the church in Philippi was all that it should have been and that there was no instability there. As the letter continues, Paul finds it necessary to call out two women who have a disagreement that he fears may cause dissension within the local church and perhaps diminish the testimony of the church instead of its power at spreading the gospel. He knew that this disagreement threatened the church's unity and needed to be confronted. Iodia and Syntyche, as stated in verse 3, had labored side by side with Paul, Clement, and many members of the Philippian church. They were not troublemakers from outside the congregation. These women should in no way be confused with the Judaizers of the day that would come into a newly established congregation and try to cause trouble. Now, we do not know the nature of that disagreement among the two women, But it doesn't appear that this disagreement was over some doctrinal issue. If it had been, Paul would have resolved it by siding with the one who was correct and rebuking the one who was in error. But regardless of the exact nature of the disagreement, Paul felt that it was a big enough issue that it could cause damage and disunity to the church. As with the church in Corinth, Paul uses the terms that imply much more than a command, but an urgency that demands immediate attention. Words like to entreat or to implore or to appeal gives the impression that Paul wants the ladies in question to deal with this disagreement and do so quickly, 
Paul was concerned that this disagreement could cause cliques or factions within the church that would damage their testimony and effectiveness for the gospel. There are other similarities in the appeal of Paul to the church in Corinth and the church in Philippi. Paul calls for them to agree or to be of the same mind in the Lord. He appeals to both churches to settle their differences so that they as a church may function as a healthy body in spreading the gospel. This is, I believe, of highest importance to Paul with regard to settling of these conflicts. Now, some might conclude that the appeal to agree in the Lord was a call for Eodia and Syntyche to agree with each other regarding their disagreement, perhaps so that they just didn't have it hanging over them so that they could continue uh, their work uh, and labor for the gospel. Now, I have no doubt that Paul would like that, but R.C. Sproul brings some additional insight to this appeal to agree in the Lord that uh, is worth taking a look at. R.C. Sproul writes, Paul's main concern is not that they should agree with each other, as sometimes suggested, but they they should both have an attitude of a oneness of affection and purpose that that gladly honors the other. So Paul is urging them to be of one mind, demonstrating love for one and honor for one another and building up the unity within the local church. Now, there are a couple of differences in the way the Apostle Paul's response was to the church in Corinth and the church in Philippi as well. When dealing with divisions present in Corinth, he gave direct authoritative instruction to stop following the individuals or placing the focus on themselves. They were to follow Christ as a unified body of believers. In contrast, Paul doesn't take sides in the actual dispute between the two women, uh, since, as I mentioned earlier, it's likely that this was more of a personal rather than doctrinal matter. He does, however, implore them to come to agreement in a way that honors each other and unifies their local church. So another question comes to mind is, why do churches, including our own, experience all sorts of conflict? There are at least two reasons for that, and I'm sure that you could come up with many others. Uh, But the first is that people tend to form different and strongly held opinions. And it's easy for us to believe that we are right and everyone else is wrong. Now, I suspect many of us have seen cases where an individual has drawn a conclusion that is different from the larger group, and then that conclusion has eventually been proven correct. However, we need to be very careful when we stand alone, especially as it relates to time-tested doctrinal truths. The second reason that the church experiences conflict is that the church is at war with the secular world, the world that is opposed to God. The secular world is always trying to subvert the gospel by persuading Christians to adopt its values, thus dividing and diluting the testimony of the church. I suspect that was what the Apostle Paul was trying to guard against with his appeals to both churches that we are studying tonight. As we try to bring this all together, we see clearly that the Apostle Paul considers conflict and division within the church a very serious matter. 
Not only does he see the damage it can do to individuals, he is most concerned about what, uh, can, what it can do to tear the church apart and make it ineffective as a force for the gospel. So what are we, as a local body of believers, to agree on at this time in history? The, ans- the simple answer, and I use simple in quotes, is that we are to come to an agreement on any issue that could cause division in the local church, whether it be clear theological and doctrinal issues, such as Paul addressed with the church in Corinth, or personal issues personal issues that can cause significant divisions among our congregation, we are urged, entreated, and implored to be in agreement in the Lord. As it relates to clear theological and doctrinal issues, it's important that we stand firm on the teaching that we see in the Bible. As it relates to personal issues, which I think are probably more difficult to work with, there may be time for compromise, or there may be times when, it's, when we're able to acknowledge that there is more than one way to do it right. The goal is, however, to agree on a path forward that does not cause division and conflict among the believers within the church. As I mentioned at the beginning of this lesson, loving and honoring one another in a manner that glorifies God is not possible without his help and power. Agreeing with one another in the Lord is certainly not possible without God's strength and guidance as well. It's certainly not easy, and I will be the first one to admit that, but it is essential that we do this for the sake of the gospel, for our testimony as a church, and our personal walk with Christ. So as we close the service this evening, uh, join me in prayer, and then I will also uh, pray for the blessing on our, on our fellowship meal afterwards. So please join me in prayer tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess to you that we, as sinful people, can be selfish and self-centered. We also confess that we make decisions and hold opinions that serve only ourselves instead of serving the believers in this local church. We pray that you will forgive us for our selfishness and break us of our self-centeredness. And by your power, help us to agree with one another in the Lord so that we can strengthen each other and encourage unity in this church so that we can be effective force for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you also for allowing us to gather tonight to worship you and allowing us to have this time of food and fellowship together. We thank you for the food that you have provided and for all who have prepared it. We ask that you will bless this food now to our bodies and grant us a great time of fellowship that honors you and and grant us a great evening to your service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed to go to the fellowship in the gym. Thank you.